Good morning, Montclair Community Church. And as we say each and every week, God is good. And all the time. It's such a great saying. For you guys who don't know who I am, also I'm going to apologize to the live stream early because I like to walk around and they're not going to see me when I'm out here. You guys will see me, but I'm sorry to the people watching the live stream. You're just going to have to listen to my voice. And it is a beautiful voice. Um, but for you guys who don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Eric. I'm the youth pastor here along with other roles. One of those other roles is preaching every so often. And I think it's a God-honoring gift, and I think God has given me the ability to preach his word. And I am very glad to be up here and thank you guys for the opportunity. Um, but I feel like I have to say something before I start. Because today's a rather emotional day for me. Um, the last time I taught was November 22nd. And my father died of suicide on November 23rd. And since that point, I've kind of, haven't really wanted to be up here. Um, I haven't really wanted to preach. I, even for a little while, have been very angry at God. But through those kind of parts and through that trials and through that suffering, I feel like God's taught me quite a few things. Even before he taught me those things, he put on my heart that he wanted me to preach again. To the point where, as I think two or three months after my dad died, I went to Lee and I said, hey, I want to preach three weeks once we're done with this. And the only reason I said that is because it was three weeks and that was still in my head and every single time I was saying, no, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to get back up there. I don't want to cry in front of people. Um, but God just kind of said, no, I want you to preach. So I truly believe that God has taught me amazing things through this grief, through this troublesome time, and I want to impart some of that to you guys today. So if you see me crying up here, it's not just because I'm nervous, it's because there's a lot of emotions today. So let's go to pray before, prayer before we start. God, you are a great God. You are a God of love, a God of forgiveness, a God of grace. And Lord, today we ask that you take away my words and that you replace them with your words. That you take away my life experiences, Lord, and you replace it with your list, Lord. I ask that your spirit enters this room and that you speak through me into each and every person's heart here, Lord. That I will not be the one talking, but that you will be the one talking to each and every person here, Lord. And whether it's one person just getting one thing from this message, I ask that you just make it clear that that's what they were supposed to get, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So with that in mind, uh, there's tissues back here. One second. So with that in mind and knowing that today was going to be a rather tough day for me just to get through the sermon, I figured I would pick a very easy topic and talk about forgiveness. <laughs> Which honestly I thought was a pretty easy topic. And then I got into it and it really is not. It's a rather difficult topic to discuss and a lot of the sermons out there and resources even on the psychological world aren't that good. And a lot of the times when I saw what people were talking about with forgiveness, it was why we need to forgive. And although that's great, and a lot of those people talked about why it is such a heavy burden for us to not forgive people, why it feels like we're waiting, wearing a weighted vest, and why that's a great thing to release, I didn't find one single resource on how to forgive. And I thought that was really weird, because we can know the why, but if we don't know the how, we can never get to the why. We don't know how to do that. So today, we're going to be really talking about how to forgive. And the definition of forgiveness, I honestly kind of hate. It's a very simple definition, and there's probably 20 or 30 of them out there, but the definition is basically just letting go of an offense, which sounds so nice. I'm just going to forgive you. I'm just going to forget about what you just did to me, and I'm going to forgive you, which is often how we treat forgiveness. I worked at a camp for many summers, and when you have 150 kids on five hours of sleep running on sugar and caffeine, you're going to get some arguments. And we got a lot of those, and throughout the years, I was kind of the always one 
that people would bring the students to and I was the mediator. And the way I judged if the mediation went well was if at the end of that mediation, the kid asked, uh, do you forgive me, Jimmy? And Jimmy says, I forgive you. But then if I watched their relationship throughout the week, I realized it wasn't a true forgiveness at all. The kids still ignored each other, looked away from each other, tried to get their friends to pick on them for them. And honestly, after about two days, I was meeting with those same two kids again about the same offense because they hadn't forgiven each other. So that just, oh, I forgive you and moving on with life doesn't really work. There's something more to it. And I think we find that in the scriptures. And this is specifically for how we forgive larger offenses. If someone cuts you off in traffic, that's not that big of a deal. You can just let them go. You're never going to see that person. You don't know who it is anyway. But this is more for how do you deal with an abusive parent? How do you forgive a spouse who cheated? How do you forgive a coworker who stole your project and took all the credit and got a raise for it? How do you deal with an absent parent? How do you deal with a spouse who wants to leave you? How do you forgive in these situations? And when you ask those questions, the idea of just saying, oh yeah, I forgive you, doesn't compare to what you really need to do. So today we're gonna to be diving into three different topics. We're gonna to be diving into forgiveness overall, but the steps we see in forgiveness in forgiving others. And obviously we know that everything comes from God and the flow is God's forgiveness pours out to us. When we accept that forgiveness, we can forgive others. So we're gonna start by going through the four steps. This is also a weird thing in the psychology world. There's three steps, there's six steps, there's seven steps, there's eight steps on how to forgive people, but there's no consensus on what truly goes on in that process. But in the Bible, I think I see clearly there are four steps on how we are supposed to forgive people. And we pick this up in Ephesians, the scripture we just read, in 4, 26 through 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The first step in forgiveness is getting angry. And not the anger because this makes a difference between being angry and not sinning. Not the anger where you just start slandering the person's name, where you go behind their back, start gossiping about them and making fun of them to all their friends, trying to get everyone against that person. Not that kind of anger. That's the sinful anger. But the angriness at the sin that that person did, at the offense they caused against you. Being angry at what that person did, not at the person. And not going out of your way to cause disruptions and to make mean remarks about those people, but just to be angry that they sinned against you. That is the anger that this is talking about, and that is also the first step of forgiveness. And anger is kind of this small term, but in reality, we can just call it the reaction stage. When someone does something to you, your first reaction is normally not to show the love of Jesus. It's normally, sometimes if you're a guy, it's to punch them. Or if you're meaner and you can go around and you can spread rumors about that person, you can do so many things, you can cut them out of their life and just not talk to them anymore, giving them the silent treatment. Which, by the way, that's never changed since the time we were five. We still give people a silent treatment. We just don't call it that. But you can do all these things, and this is what anger is. But this is the reaction from an offense, which can be extreme. But it gives us the warning to not give any opportunity to the devil. So when you are offended and when someone hurts you, when someone sins against you, you need to be aware of what your reaction is to that. Because your reaction can be very sinful and it can give room for hate, for malice, for calamity, all to spread throughout your life and into the lives of other people. So we need to be very aware of that. And this also brings up a time frame. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I don't believe this is an actual time frame of saying that if someone sins against you and you need to forgive them by 721 when the sun sets, I don't think that's what this means. But it does give a haste to it. 
It says, don't fester in your anger. Don't let this go on for days. Don't let this go on for weeks. Don't let this go on for months and sometimes even years. The amount of stories I've heard of families who don't talk to their brother or sister because of something that happened 10 years ago, they're stuck in the anger phase. They're still angry and they have never moved past that. And they're not talking to their brother and sister because they're stuck in this phase. This gives us that warning to not get stuck there and to start moving past that. And then it brings us to the second phase, which is confrontation. It's a word we all hate, and if you guys hate that word, I see some of you guys kind of clamoring up. We can just call it a conversation. It changes the word, it doesn't change what's actually happening, but some people find that more comfortable. So this is the confirmation or conversation stage of forgiveness. And we read about this in Ephesians 4, 28 through 30. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace for those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. At first, I wasn't fully sure why this first sentence was in there about the thief changing his ways and going back until I realized that the purpose of forgiving people and the purpose of this specific stage of a confrontation and going to that person and saying, this is how you hurt me, is for change. It's for that thief to no longer steal and yet instead go back to the ways of good and sharing in the honest work and sharing with others. The purpose of our confrontation and going to forgive someone isn't for ourselves. And that's what a lot of sermons and a lot of resources online will tell us. We forgive because it gets a load off our shoulders. It makes us feel better. We no longer have to have anxieties about that person. But no, we forgive to help others grow along with ourselves. It's not a self-centered thing. It's an other-centered thing. Although we may hate to go to people and confront them and say, this is what you've done wrong for me, it's needed. And I don't know about you guys, but in these moments when people have come to me and said, hey, Eric, you really hurt me and you've done this, this, and this wrong against me. I don't like hurting people, and I don't think anyone else here likes hurting people. I've always made a conscious decision to try to change my ways after that. And I've tried my best, and hey, I'm sinful, I'm not the best, and I sometimes fall back into that, but I've always tried to change. And that's what the purpose of this stage of confrontation is. It's to go to someone, list out the hurts they've had against you, and hopefully they change from that. You can't force them to change, but you can hope that the spirit lays on them and that they change. And we also see in this another warning about speaking in love and with grace. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion. Because again, we're just getting out of that anger stage of forgiveness, moving into this confrontational stage of going to someone and saying, hey, this is how you hurt me. And some people view this as an opportunity to hurt them back. Say, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to list absolutely everything they've done. Do you remember last year, summer, January, January's not summer, June uh, 31st, when you hurt me doing this way? And we start listing these things and trying to hurt that person equally to the way they hurt us. And that's easy because we feel like there needs to be payment for what they've done to us. But that's not our job to have. So when we go, we need to be very careful in the words that we speak. If we need to, you need to write it down first, even just hand the person a letter but we need to be very careful of what we say when we go to confront someone. Because again, the purpose of this isn't to tear someone down or to get even with someone, it's to build everyone up. And then the third stage is examination. And we read about this in Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath 
and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Everything else has kind of been outward focused. Anger is your reactional stage to someone attacking, offending, or sinning against you. And then confrontation is going to the other person and saying, hey, this is how you've hurt me in hopes that they will grow and change. But examination is more on the inside. It's examining your own heart. It's examining if you still have resentment, if you still have hate for this person, if you see this person and you just want to ignore them, or if you just want to give them an elbow, or you're walking by them, just give them the shoulder. That's a good idea that you're in this stage, but you need to examine your own heart. Because sometimes, as we know, our heart is extremely deceitful. And our heart can trick us into thinking that we've truly forgiven someone, and yet every time when we see them, we're still angry at them. We still have this little thing in our heart that sets a fire there that makes us want to get back and get revenge for them. So we need to go to God and pray that this will be changed. This is what I call the putting off of the old self. Because in this whole section, Paul, oh man, Paul is talking about the scripture in, ooh, I lost my train of thought, sorry. We're talking about the old self versus the new self. We're talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. This is the putting off of that old self, that sinful self, that honestly, I don't know why non-Christians do forgive. If someone sins against me and offends me when I'm not a Christian, why would I forgive someone else? I'm not called to, I don't have to do. I'm just gonna cut them out of my life and move on. But when you're a Christian, we're called to so much more. We're called to put off that old self that is anger, that is hate, that is malice, that is so much against these people and pray that God changes our hearts and change our heart towards those people. And then we finally get to the fourth step of forgiveness. The hardest step sometimes, but we read about this in Ephesians 4.32. It reads, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the final step of forgiveness, and if you actually labeled it, it's labeled forgiveness, which this is when you can actually let go of that offense. And I find it funny that the definition of forgiveness is really just one stage of this whole forgiveness process. It's just one little part at the end of all of this that we all tend to focus on, because we don't like to, and I've told many people this, I hate the word process. I want everything to be in a microwave, live, live in a microwave society. If I can hit one minute on that microwave and deal with everything in that time, I'm good. But if you're telling me I'm gonna to have to go through this process that's gonna take weeks, months, sometimes even years, I'm not a huge fan of that. But that's exactly what forgiveness is, and we like to just boil it down to this last point and just say, hey, forgive this person. Meanwhile, there's all of this work that needs to go in, from working with your anger to confronting them, to examining your own heart and dealing with the issues you still have towards those people, and then finally getting to a point of forgiveness, where you can put on the new life where you can be kind, where you can be tender-hearted, and where you can truly forgive someone and forget what their offense was, where you can move past their offense and you can show them the love of Christ again, and you can rebuild that trust you've had with them, you can rebuild that relationship we've had with them, and you can move forward in life with those people. And I think that's amazing when we can do it, but sometimes it takes a lot of work. And at the end of this, I was still thinking, wow, this is great, here's four concrete steps, because I like logical thinking. If you can tell me four things to do, I'm gonna do them. But it still gets back to the point of, well, how do I really do that? Where does this flow from? Why do I really forgive? And we find that actually in this last verse here, in the last part of Ephesians 4.32. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's not just because we feel like we need to forgive. First of all, we are commanded to forgive people from Christ 70 times seven times, which basically means you're always going to forgive people. But we also are able to forgive because Christ has forgiven us. 
there's a flow to forgiveness. And this is the last step of forgiving others, but ultimately if we haven't dealt with the first two, we can't really forgive others all that well. And the first two is God has forgiven us, we have accepted that forgiveness, and because of that, we know how to forgive others. And I'm sure there's people here who don't fully know what God's forgiveness looks like. But we can actually follow these four same steps of anger, of confrontation, of examination, and of forgiveness in God and see how he has forgiven us. So that's exactly what we're going to do for the rest of the sermon, and then we're going to go into how you can accept that forgiveness. So first, Garden of Eden, God created the entire world. Everything was perfect. He then created man. He then created woman. He then said, this is perfect. Everything is good. I'm going to sleep. God doesn't sleep, but he took a rest. Um, and then after that, the serpent, the devil, decides, I'm going to come on in here, and I'm going to mess this stuff up. Man, kind, and God was in this perfect relationship, living in the garden together. They could see each other face to face, have conversations face to face. And then the serpent comes in and says, eh, I don't really like that. God told Adam and Eve to only not eat from one singular tree. And that's exactly where the serpent went. He convinces Eve to eat from the tree, who convinces Adam to eat from the tree, and then God comes down, and he's furious, as he should be, which is also the first stage of forgiveness. It's anger. God was angry at Adam and Eve. God was angry at the serpent for sinning, for ruining this relationship that they had. And we see his anger truly in his anger towards the serpent. And we read that in Genesis 3, 14 through 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts on the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the day of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And your offspring, he, oh, skip something. And your offspring and hers, offspring. He shall bruise your head and he shall bruise your heel. God was ridiculously angry, angry at the serpent for what he did. He caused Adam and Eve to fall out of this perfect relationship and to ruin their relationship with God by sinning. And he basically says, you're finished. At the end, we're going to crush you. You're done. You have no chance of winning. It is over for you. And we see that takes a couple thousand years, but it is still the case. God reacts, and he says, this is your punishment for this. And then he goes into that second stage of forgiveness, of confrontation. And he goes to Adam and Eve, and he curses them a little bit. Because remember, forgiveness isn't just saying, you don't have any reformations for what you said, what you did, or how you acted. It is saying, I forgive you for that, but you still have to face with the consequences of what you have done. And Adam and Eve sinned. So along with that, God said, your childbirth is now going to be cursed. This earth that was so easy to forest before and so easy to find food, it's no longer going to be easy. And the greatest separation was that he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, creating the separation between mankind and God, and saying that you are no longer face-to-face -face relationship with God, but you are now separate from him. You can go, still go to him, but you are not in that perfect relationship as before. And this is when sin entered the world. And that's kind of when it's hard to give God a timeline, but we see, at least in the Bible's timeline, of an examination of God. God examining us and saying, I want this relationship. And he knew what he was going to do the whole time, but we see in the Bible from the tower, and we could go through this stuff, but again, it would take 30, 40 minutes just to go through this one point, so I'm going to summarize quickly. We see in the Tower of Babel, where he sees that these people need to be spread out. We see it in the flood, where God says, oh, wow, we've gone the wrong way. We need to start over again. But all of these things are happening, even Egypt, and all of these things are happening because God wants a perfect relationship with us again. He examined the relationship with us and said, this is no good. 
I don't want to be separate from my people. He said, I want to be with my people, and I want to have that perfect relationship again. And in that, he enters that fourth stage of forgiveness, where he sends his son to forgive us for our sins. And we read about this in Romans 5, 8 through 9. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now, now been justified by his blood, more, much more, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What happens is God gets there and he says, I want this relationship and I'm going to forgive them because he knows we are sinful and we cannot stop sinning. We see it in Paul's writing, I do what I don't want to do. I do evil when I want to do good. We see it in his writing that we're sinful and we can't fully stop it. But God says, despite that, despite knowing that you're going to sin again after I forgive you, I'm gonna send my Christ, my son, to live this perfect life and die on a cross for your sins. The sins of the past, the sins of the present, and the sins of the future. And this wasn't just a general thing. This was Christ dying on the cross knowing each and every sin that you and myself have committed and saying, I want to be in perfect relationship with you again and forgiving us. And that gift is open to each and every one of us to accept. And everyone here, it's a gift that honestly is the best gift in the world of the forgiveness of God, and it's a gift that flows in us and through us so that we can forgive others, but a lot of times we get stuck in actually accepting this gift. It's kind of weird to say it's a gift, it's free, you should just be able to take it, but we live in a society filled with pride, with guilt, with shame, and we feel like we need to earn something. So that's where this next part of this message comes in, and this is our acceptance of this forgiveness. It should be easy, but our sinful nature tells us it's not. And again, we're going to be looking through these four same steps in this. We're going to be looking through anger, through confrontation, through examination, and through forgiveness under the same lens of ourselves accepting God's forgiveness. And the first place we're going to be looking is at anger. I'm going to be willing to bet if you're one of those people who's kind of saying, yeah, I know God's forgiven me, but I've done a lot of bad things in my life, or I don't really think I'm deserving about it. I'm not talking about being angry at yourself. Because I'm willing to bet you're already angry at yourself and all, all the sin that you have done in your life. I'm talking about being angry about the sin in your life. And we see that in Romans 7, 19 through 20. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. This, it's a confusing statement, but basically it shows the duality of man, of this new saved man that is through God's creation, or through God's forgiveness, a new creation, and this old sinful man who are fighting each other. And sometimes the sin wins out, sometimes God wins out, and the new man wins, but it's a battle between it, and sometimes you do the things you don't want to do. Sometimes you hurt others, sometimes you react when someone has hurt you and do things that's much worse than what they originally did. It's not easy, but you're not supposed to be angry at yourself. You're supposed to be angry at that old self, at that sinful nature that keeps coming up. You're supposed to be angry at the sin, but not yourself. And that's what I'm talking about in this first stage, is you need to get angry at the sin that's in you. Because ultimately, if you're just living in sin and don't care, you don't need God's forgiveness. But if you do care, and you're angry at it, and you're saying, I don't want to live this way anymore, that's when God's forgiveness can truly enter our lives. And that's where this next step comes in, of confrontation. And this isn't really confronting God, it's actually confronting yourself and asking what those barriers are in your lives that's stopping you from accepting God's forgiveness. And there could be a lot of barriers, and there's a lot of barriers within what I'm going to say, but I've just listed two walls, we call, call them, of what stops us from accepting God's forgiveness. 
And wall number one is that I'm bad. I'm not worthy. I've done too much in my life and God would never forgive me. That even if I did everything right, God would still not forgive me because what I did in 1979, that I don't deserve to be forgiven. It's this wall of pride, or not pride and guilt, it is guilt and shame of saying that I am bad and I do not deserve forgiveness. But in reality, none of us are past forgiveness. All of us can accept forgiveness, and we're going to get to that. But wall number two is I need to earn it. This world tells us that we need to earn absolutely everything we get in this life, that we need to earn a house, that we need to earn our relationships, that we need to earn friends, that we need to earn money. But this gift is completely different. You can't earn it. You could go to seminary, you could become a pastor of a multi-million dollar church, you could worship every single day, you could pray every single morning, you could preach and give out devotions every single day, you could solve world hunger, you could find a way to give everyone water to drink and clean water to drink, and yet you still would not earn your way to God's forgiveness. It cannot be earned. And this is where the third step of forgiveness comes into play of examination. Of examining God's word against those walls we've put up in our hearts saying we are not worthy of forgiveness. So again, wall one is I'm bad and I'm not worthy. It's a wall of guilt and shame of saying I don't deserve this. God doesn't truly know what I've done in life. And if he did know, there's no chance he would forgive me. But that's just not true. Yes, we are sinful. Yes, we have done a lot of bad things in our lives and we'll continue to do those things in our lives. Yet, God has sent his son as we just learned to die on that cross for our sins. And we read about this in Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, blameless before him in love. That's truly amazing to me. And this also goes along with the scripture of saying that Christ wasn't just dying on that cross as a general sense of forgiveness for everyone. He died on that cross and knew exactly what you were going to do tomorrow that's sinful. Exactly what you did yesterday that was sinful. Exactly what you're doing today that's sinful. Exactly what you did 10 years from now. He knew each and every sin personally and yet still chose to be on that cross and forgive our sins. So there is no chance that you are not worth saving or that you are not worthy of forgiveness because God said you are. So it is a lie that you are not worthy of forgiveness because you are worthy of forgiveness. And yes, you are bad, but no one is bad past the point of forgiveness. And then wall number two, we can combat that with a scripture in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And wall number two was, I need to earn this. That if I don't earn it, I don't deserve it, and I'm not going to take it. But there's nothing you can do to earn it. So if we have this wall there, we need to truly realize you can do absolutely everything in your life right, and yet still at the end of your life, you have not earned God's forgiveness. But right now, to each and every one of you, it is available. And you could accept God's forgiveness just by confessing your sins and repenting of them and saying that Christ is your Lord. So these walls are there, but we need to examine our hearts and realize that they're only there in our minds. They're not there in scriptures, and nothing in scripture tells us that that is true. We know actually the opposite is true. And this brings us to forgiveness, the fourth stage of the forgiveness process. And 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Quite simple, once we've gotten past that angry stage of being angry at our sin and realizing that we are living in sin and we can't do anything ourselves against it and we can't do anything to get to heaven, once we confront ourselves on why we aren't truly accepting God's forgiveness and examine those walls we've put up against God's scripture and God's truth, 
we can then repent of our sinfulness. We can then repent of the things we've done wrong and confess to God that we believe he is our God. And that is the way that we accept God's forgiveness. And a lot of times there's people that I've talked to in the church that have all of this understanding of the Bible and understand God's forgiveness, understands God's salvation, but they get caught up in accepting God's forgiveness, of telling themselves lies that I'm not worthy, that uh, if I could just earn it or if I could just do enough, God would love me. Those are all lies. And his forgiveness is truly there for each and every one of us to accept right now. So we've talked about a lot today, and I just want to summarize real quick. We've talked about the four stages of forgiveness, of anger, of that reactionary stage or when someone has an offense against you, of you immediately reacting. We talked about how we shouldn't be sinfully angry, we shouldn't be yelling at people, we shouldn't be gossiping behind the back or slandering them, but we should be rightfully angry at the sin they have committed against us or the offense they have committed against us. And then we went to confrontation where you go to the person and confront them on how they have hurt you and what offense they have done to you. But the warning of being careful, speaking in grace and speaking in love to build each other up. And then examination of your own heart and how that sometimes our heart can be deceitful and we could think we've forgiven someone, but when we see that person, we avoid them. We still talk bad about them behind their backs. We still want nothing to do with them, which is a unforgiving heart. And then finally, the fourth stage, when we've dealt with that and God has helped us in our unforgiveness and examining our own hearts, we can get to a point where we are forgiven people. And then we talked about God's plan of forgiveness and how he sent his son, despite knowing that we were sinful and despite knowing that we will continue to sin, to die for our sins. And then we also talked about our own barriers we put up. The barriers that really aren't there, but they're just in our mind. The barrier of guilt and shame of saying, I'm not good enough and I don't deserve God's forgiveness. You aren't good enough, but you do deserve God's forgiveness because he has given it to us. And then we also talked about the barrier of, I need to earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. If you're trying to earn God's forgiveness, you're gonna be trying your whole life and still fail. So keep reading those scriptures, keep praying that God will knock down those walls so you can accept forgiveness. Because again, how we forgive is those four steps, but we ultimately cannot forgive others if we haven't accepted God's forgiveness. Because God has offered us forgiveness. Once we have accepted that and truly seen the life-changingness of that and seen what God has forgiven us in our lives and of all that sin, we can then forgive others. And there's a lot of application for this. And Joe, I'm going to ask you to go over to the communion um, and the ushers if you guys can get ready. There's a lot of application for this because there's a lot of different areas. You could be someone who's never heard the gospel so far and you just heard the gospel today and you're saying, God's really forgiven me of everything I've done. I'm not worthy, but he still loves me and he's still forgiven me. Or you could be one of those people I've heard all of their days that God does love you and yet you've never truly felt it. Or you could be someone who's looking at your life and you're saying, man, I really need to work on forgiveness. I thought I forgave someone, but I never really talked to them and I never really confronted them and I need to work on that forgiveness. So there's a lot of different ways to apply this message and I'm truly relying on the Holy Spirit to convict each and every one of us. But the way we're going to be applying it today is by taking communion. So Joe, if you want to bring on out the communion, <laughs> he's good. Because there are a lot of ways about this. You can hand that. Awesome. You guys can disperse. I'm going to talk as you go. And as we're handing this out, we're handing out a communion as a remembrance of the forgiveness God has given each and every one of us of that the body of Christ is represented in that 
bread in there, or kind of styrofoam in this case, but it's representative of, it is, I'm sorry. It's the easiest way to do it. But it's representative of the body of Christ that was broken as a sacrifice for our sins. For all the transgressions and all the offenses we have ever done in our life, this is a representation of that forgiveness. And as this is being handed out, I want everyone just to reflect on what God's talking to them about today. Whether he's saying, hey, you really got to work on forgiving others. Whether he's saying, you really got to work on forgiving yourself. Because I love you and I need you to accept that. Or whether he's saying, hey, I do forgive you. And this may be the first time you truly understand that. So as the communion's being passed out, I know it's a little distracting. But just reflect on what God is telling you today. So as we take out the bread slash styrofoam, we are remembered, we are remembering what God has done for us. That his body, who lived the perfect life, was hung on that cross for each and every one of our sins. That he was the ultimate sacrifice, meaning that we don't need to sacrifice anything more. That we don't need to stop not accepting God's forgiveness. We can accept it because all of the prerequisites have been met. So let's take together. And this juice represents Jesus' blood, the blood that has been washed over each and every one of us, extending God's forgiveness to us, covering us and making us white and as pure as snow again, that all of the sins have been forgiven through the blood of God who made the fulfillment of the perfect sacrifice. So as we take of this, as depending on where you are and what God has spoken to you, that if you're accepting Christ for the first time, that is amazing, and congratulations. I'd love to talk to you. Any of our pastors would love to talk to you. And if God is talking that you need to knock down some of those barriers, maybe you wait to take this. Maybe you take it home, and I realize we already opened one of it, but we can give you another one. Maybe you wait to take another symbolic sip of the blood of Christ. Maybe you aren't ready fully in your mind to accept God as your Savior and to accept that forgiveness. So if that's you, maybe you don't take this. And maybe you wait until you have knocked down those barriers to accept God's forgiveness. And finally, as we think about this blood that has been given to us and forgiven us, we must also forgive others. So as we reflect on all of that and on the blood of Christ and the forgiveness that flows out of that, let's partake together. Awesome. Sweet. And then I'm just going to pray us out. God, thank you so much for the remembrance of your forgiveness and your forgiveness that flows out of yourself, Lord, into us and into others, Lord, so we can be a light to others, Lord, that we can forgive others with things that other people in this world would say they would never forgive anyone else of, Lord. I ask that you work on our hearts, Lord, that if today's the first time we've heard the message of the gospel and the forgiveness that comes with that, we celebrate, Lord, and we ask that you plant seeds there. And Lord, if this is the first time we've kind of thought about accepting forgiveness that we've known, we've always felt like we don't deserve forgiveness or that we need to earn it, Lord, I ask that you, you soften our hearts, that you knock down those walls and that you help us to realize that we can't do anything to earn that forgiveness. You are there, Lord, and you have offered that forgiveness for us to accept. And Lord, if you place it on our hearts that 
we need to forgive others or we need to forgive ourselves, Lord. I ask that you just speak to us, Lord, and tell us how to do that, Lord. That you walk us through these four steps that you've listed out in your Bible, Lord, through the anger stage, Lord. And I ask that if we're in, there, if we're in that anger stage and we've been there for years, Lord, that you help us to move out of that. That we can confront the person who has offended us, Lord, so that we can both grow. That we can examine our own hearts and you will make it clear where we are falling short of forgiveness, Lord. And that ultimately we can forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen.